0: Can a person be born in the wrong body? And why does the church insist on only two sexes? How do we accompany somebody struggling with gender dysphoria? Join us today as we explore those questions and many more with Archbishop Paul Coakley of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I'm Father Dave and I'm president of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Please stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Father Dave Pavanka. I'm president at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Today, we're discussing about how to walk with those who are experiencing gender dysphoria. I'm joined by our regular panelist, Dr. Regis Martin, professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University, and Dr. Scott Hahn, the Father Michael Scanlon Professor of Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization, also here at Franciscan University. It's a great pleasure to welcome our special guest today, Archbishop Paul Coakley. Archbishop Coakley served as the priest for the Diocese of Wichita, Kansas for 21 years until his appointment as Bishop of Salina in 2004. And then in 2011, he was installed as the Metropolitan Archbishop of Oklahoma City. In 2022, his brother bishops elected him as the secretary of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. Archbishop Coakley has written a recent pastoral letter on the unity of body and soul accompanying those who experience gender dysphoria, which we're going to discuss today. Uh, it's a great blessing to have you with us, Bishop.
1: Thanks, Father Dave. It's a great uh, pleasure to be with you and panelists. Now, this is not your first time at the university. No, I was here uh, one summer, okay. a few years ago. Right, Dr. Hahn brought me here.
0: Before, uh, I don't know if it was before I came it back. It was. Here. It was
1: before you returned. It was, uh, it was the last conference of the summer. Okay. Uh, and uh, it was a beautiful experience, but i grateful for the opportunity to, to return. That's a great blessing.
0: I've been able to be with you a couple of times in your neck of the woods. So it's it, nice it, to have you right. at my home. So thank, thank you, thank you thank so much. You
1: for the invitation.
0: Well, maybe just, if we could just begin, how is it, did you always think about being a priest or were you just gonna always wanted to be an archbishop? <laughs> how did that uh, work? N- neither, neither. <laughs> so none of the above. Yeah.
1: No, I I was blessed to have been raised in a good traditional Catholic family. Both of my parents came from Catholic homes and families and um, raised us in the faith, uh, and uh, it was always very clear where I belonged. Mm -hmm. I remember in adolescence when I started having to um, complain about going to to Mass on Sundays, uh, my, my, my Dad put his foot down. And said, "Paul, as long as you live under this roof, sure. you're going to get up and you're going to go to mass." <laughs> yeah. so, so we did. It didn't get to it a, Yeah, <laughs> it didn't get me very So you, you experienced uh, the
2: storms of adolescence, like oh, everybody Oh, absolutely, else. I did.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> I did. And and you know, I I kind of drifted. I took my faith very much for granted. Mm. Uh, as uh, as a teen, uh, I, I wandered away. It was in the 1970s and all that was happening in the world in late 60s and early 70s and. Uh, Providentially, um, I ended up as a freshman in college at the University of Kansas, and uh, became involved with a a program called the Pearson Integrated Humanities Program, which was a great books program for freshmen and sophomores. And uh, I fell under the influence, uh, if you will, of um, uh, three marvelous professors, all of whom were Catholic Hmm. in a state university. Uh, The program had a Latin motto, Nos Cantor in Admirazione, let them be born in wonder. And it was really through the great books, through poetry, through stargazing, through waltzing, uh, just kind of opening our hearts, our minds, our imaginations to consider uh things beyond ourselves uh i I remember seeing uh, the figure
2: of don quixote yes uh, perched on on a horse that was
1: that was always part of the brochure looking at the stars yeah Yeah. john senior john senior and 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 quinn john senior uh yeah dennis quinn and frank nellick yeah it was the all-star team it was uh it was a tremendous moment uh and it led to hundreds of conversions quite literally and quite dozens of vocations to the priesthood and Consecrated life and the oh. Abbey at Clear Creek, uh, the Benedictines, right. uh, is a fruit of that. I, in fact, when I finished at KU, I made my own pilgrimage to France and spent eight months at Fontcarmes and, right? and a discerning. Yes. Uh, right.
0: yeah. So uh, that's what took you there, trying I, to figure out a vocation. Yeah,
1: but you know, I, I jumped ahead. There was a there was a moment of crisis actually when I was an undergraduate. Um, we went to Ireland for a semester, and uh, uh, they brought. Block, stock, and barrel. One hundred and fifty KU students to, oh. to to Ireland. We stayed on off the west coast on a little island called Inishbofin. Mm-hmm. Beautiful place. And a bunch of kids from Kansas. The first week we were there, two of our brothers were out exploring. Uh, I was looking at this. This is going to be you know a four month sabbatical. You know, mm-hmm. uh, pub hopping across <laughs> uh, across Ireland. And but the first week we were there, two of our our friends had drowned.
0: Oh my God.
1: I was four thousand miles from home and had never dealt with death or mortality, and uh, didn't know where to turn. And I ended up um, knocking on the rectory door in this little island, mm. uh, St. Coleman's Parish, and um, met this young priest. We spent several evenings together, uh, uh, talking and walking. Uh, we walked together actually in, in search of my friends before they they were found to have been drowned. So anyway, he was a very influential for mm. me. And that's what finally kind of the Lord knocked on my the door of my heart and yeah. opened it to the possibility that maybe yeah. being a priest wouldn't yeah. be the... I mean, all
2: the great encounters uh, in history are personal. Yeah, 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 know, yeah that's somebody absolutely Somebody singular, yep. irreducibly yep. special. So was, I, your,
3: was your roommate with you at that point? In I, I,
1: yes, I had a few of my roommates who were with, uh, yeah, you're referring undoubtedly to Bishop Conley. Uh, uh, Jim Conley and I grew up together. Uh, he his cousins lived in our, our backyard basically, oh. and uh, uh, we played ball together in junior high. His dad was our coach. We were went to the same high school. His our lockers were next to each other with Coakley and Conley. That's and, so great. And he wasn't Catholic, and I was barely Catholic when, by the time we went off to college. But we were both in this integrated humanities program together, and he became a convert to the faith uh, through that program. He went to Ireland. He was with us at the time of the. The drowning of our two friends, um, and we both found our way to France, uh, to the, the monastery. And uh, I came back from the monastery in France, Fontcarmes, and uh, went to see the vocation director, the diocese of Wichita, and was enrolled in the seminary the following fall. Mm-hmm. You know, it was uh, not something I ever dreamed that I would be—that yeah. uh, as a priest, let alone a bishop. Yeah. And, uh, God's mysterious. Gosh, the hand province. of God is yeah. unmistakable. Yeah. And you're both bishops. So we're both bishops, is it from yeah. the same state? Yeah, well, we, we were both priests of Wichita. Yeah. Uh, and um, Bishop Conley was actually working in the congregation for bishops in Rome at the time that my name was proposed as a bishop, but they kept it away from him because <laughs> they, they, they knew we were best friends. That's great, that's uh, great. So, uh, I became a bishop, and then a few years later, he became a bishop. And oh, so, that's extraordinary. Uh, yeah, we have this remarkable parallel course so in our lives. And you both had fallen under the spell of John Sr. Oh, yeah. He, in fact, John Sr. was Bishop Conley's uh, godfather when he entered the church. Oh, so. Nice. Uh,
0: Oh, my goodness. It's just a beautiful story, too, that it was the intellectual life that that really really began to kind of capture imagination. The university experience
1: for both of us was transformative in leading us, leading him to the faith and leading me kind of back to the faith and yeah. deeper into the faith. Yeah, I, I think that.
2: Senior often uh, described his task as that of a janitor. Let me just open the door and introduce these kids to the wonders and riches
0: yes.
3: of their own past. Yeah. Mm. Our youngest son, David, went to Gregory the Great, which was inspired sure. by integrated humanities program. Yeah, it sure and, uh, was. It was his own uh, young adult conversion awakening. But when you mentioned stargazing and poetry and all of that, I mean, you're not exactly yeah, yeah. waltzing. Yeah, all of these things uh, created imagination yeah. that is not necessarily explicitly Catholic supernatural, but it's just—it's like the more you make of nature, the more, the more Christ can grace. It's rooted in the real, you know. Yeah, the, yeah exactly. Uh, right. a, a realism, a Christian right. realism. Yeah, I gather
2: that that senior had left. Uh, Long Island at age 13 he ran away from home he was in ardent search of reality yes. he stumbles upon these cowboys in North Dakota <laughs> who introduce him to coffee and the stars and he's he's he had been looking at the stars all his life after that
0: mhm yeah.
2: yeah
1: his is a remarkable story as well john senior
0: well, that's fantastic well thank you so much and and it's led you to us so it's a great blessing yeah Maybe just the background, the, your, the document that you wrote, the pastoral letter, was really quite beautiful. Uh, actually, I think all of the friars have read it. It was just really very, very well done. Where did that come from? What motivated it? With so many things that you could speak about, why that, why now?
1: Well, um, I, I think the short answer would simply be that, you know we were getting a lot of questions uh, from school administrators, uh, even in our Catholic schools. Um, mm-hmm. Young people questioning their gender identity, and uh, um, it's with us. I mean, it, it's just—it's mm-hmm. just—it's—it's it's come like a like a like a tsunami, yeah. uh, and uh, so it was just. And there was very little I could find that was really being uh, given in terms of pastoral guidance, mm-hmm. and that I'm not sure that I'm necessarily the expert that can speak to it. But I can yeah. talk to some people and gather some uh, people to help put together. uh, you you
2: mentioned, uh, you you cite the statistic that within the last five years, the number of people who identify as transgender has doubled.
3: Mm -hmm. It's remarkable and and really frightening. A couple of weeks ago, I saw a statistic, but you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt, that uh, now in public high schools, one in four identify as LGBTQ and that the T is Plus. I'm not what sure what the plus. Means, I don't either. But, but uh, one the P, in P is, is really like growing. It's a contagion. It's a tsunami. It's a trend.
0: Though. It really yeah, is. I mean, I don't. I, I really do not want to be minimalizing because, and we're going to get to this. And I think the part that you do about the people that are suffering, walking them, is is one of the most beautiful, and the families. But it is trending now. It's it's kind of the cool thing to do, and and that's part of the pressure of being young young people. You know, I think it's just.
1: It is, it's trending and largely showing the, highlighting the influence and impact of social media. That's, right, that's, right. that's how it trends, um, but the, the power of that. Uh, and, you know, it's not like the trends from 50 years ago or 30 or 20 years ago even, that, that were maybe less less um, destructive. I mean, these are young people, when their brains are not even fully yet formed or, or they're not even able to, to vote or buy Fear, right. uh, are making decisions that it's going to affect them for the rest of their lives.
2: I mean, we certainly need to be compassionate, but we also need to be very clear yeah. about this. The trend is, 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 is regarding something that's an aberration. It's, it's psychotic, pathological. I mean, when I was in junior high school, the trend was guys would wear pegged pants and Cuban heels. I mean, there wasn't anything unnatural about that. Right. But to embrace
0: transgenderism seems really bizarre. Yeah. Maybe in this first section, if we just distinguish, distinguish and I think, again, you do a wonderful job at this between the individual who's struggling and the movement yeah. and the agenda and the activism, that, which, which I think is destructive, demonic, I think, honestly, it's mm-hmm. just it's so destructive. So maybe make a distinction there.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think for me as a, as, a, as a priest, for me as a pastor, what what, what I was trying to address is, you know, the young person in front of me, or, mm-hmm. or, or who's who's in pain, who's struggling, who's suffering, who's confused, uh, or the parent who's who's pulling their hair out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do I deal with this? Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I think the, the the pastoral response is is really more the 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 focus of this document of uh, this pastoral right. letter. Um, but in order to get there, we had to present some of the anthropological, philosophical, theological. Foundations uh, and pre- presents some credible data as well from yeah. from uh, therapists and science and uh, but uh, so the focus is really intended to be a pastoral focus and mm-hmm. approach. Uh, very different from the the impact that the the movement or the ideology is having. Uh, and that needs to be addressed as well. But
0: yeah, and you quote the Holy Father, Pope Francis about that about the ideologies really coming against that, which is I mean, he's been very clear and very,
3: very clear, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah, insistent. Yeah. 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 yeah, ideological colonization. Yeah, you know, th- this anti colonialism that has taken hold is sort of left the back door open for in a darker, much darker way. Mm -hmm. a kind of colonial export of this LGBTQI. You know, and I think we have to be honest and see that, you know, this is in the foreground right now and it's trending. It's a kind of cultural fad for a day, but against the background of DEI, that is diversity, equity, and inclusivity. And I think we have to recognize that the people who are using that are weaponizing that as well. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's anything that is diverse and equitable and inclusive it's the Catholic Church. Yeah. But the people who are advancing DEI have contempt for traditional morality. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so this terminological battle is one that thus far, we haven't won. In fact, we're, we're losing badly. Mm-hmm. And so I would say what you're doing in the pastoral letter is not just useful, it's necessary. That is, you are shedding light on a dark situation, but it's the light of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I mean, you say joyful witness, you speak of accompaniment, but you also take seriously the need for counseling and for formation that includes the clergy, but the laity, and especially us parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, To me, that is the only way to fight this. It's like a tar baby, I mean, if you just hit it, you're gonna get it all over you. Yeah. But if you shed light on it, you're gonna really, I think, show people the way. Yeah. Diminish its power. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I think you're right, Scott, is that what we're seeing is, you know, the vast majorities of schools, this has just become commonplace. And, And I think in some ways that we have been slow, you know, the university, we can talk more about it later, the university has been working on a document on this whole issue as well for for a number of years. And, And I think for young people, they're not hearing the church say anything about it and they're hearing it from everybody else. And that's what we really have to be able to speak into. We'll have more to say in just a moment.
4: Let's hear from other voices at Franciscan University of Steubenville.
0: It's important that we express the true teaching
1: of the church on human sexuality because it's for the good of the human person. We know that we don't want to be dismissive of persons, but we also don't want to be too permissive, especially when we're trying to walk with someone who is experiencing gender dysphoria. So how do we do this? I think the way that we do this is we recognize from the start that this is a person with immense dignity before us and that they, like us, have struggles with sin, but also at times live virtuously by God's grace. If we can recognize that, we can seek to meet them where they're at, and it gives us the opportunity to share the teaching of the church and to love them in their experience.
0: Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We're discussing the beauty and the truth of creation and specifically that we're all made in the image and likeness of God, male and female. And that actually matters. I'm sorry, but you you're telling a story of something.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was about to relate that the week before um, I released this pastoral letter, uh, I had received a troubling letter from a troubled parent uh, about uh, a child, a son or a daughter. And um, I don't want to say anything that would tip who it might be. Um, or from where. But their child had recently um, turned 18, legally an adult, and, and undertook the, took the initiative to change their name legally to a, a, a more of a right. uh, gender neutral mm-hmm. sort of a name. But their request of me was that as the child is walking across the stage to graduate from one of our Catholic high schools, uh, that they be allowed to use their new name Instead of their Christian name, their the name given in baptism mm-hmm. that would better reflect their new identity. Uh, so, this was this is how real yeah, it yeah, is, yeah, yeah, and absolutely. and this is good Catholic families, good Catholic high schools. Uh, yeah. So, you, you
0: seem to imply Bishop that at the heart of it is a Christ, it's a lack of an understanding of not merely this, but at Christian anthropology, mm-hmm. that, that the human person, so maybe speak to that, the human person is made in the image and likeness of God, and why this matters fundamentally to this issue. Well, to me, it
1: seems the most fundamental question and problem is the challenge to creation. I mean, just to, to reject the fact that we are creatures, it's, it's that fundamental, that, that we don't make ourselves, we don't create ourselves, but we are created by a God who loves us, in whose image and likeness we are uh, created and formed, um, and who has uh, created us after a certain pattern of mm-hmm. wisdom and truth, uh, a God who is love. I mean, all of those things come together in, in an adequate anthropology of how do we how do we live out our yeah. our yeah the body soul composite yeah. mm-hmm. you can't really shatter it.
2: Right. And I think you mentioned that when you separate the two, uh, you diminish the humanity right. of the human person. I, I remember a conversation I had with John Crosby, who had been debating a rabid feminist who said, John, it really doesn't matter what we do to our bodies as long as we respect the person. Mm. I mean, that's kind of schizophrenic. You, you prescind the body from the person Dualistic. as if we've got two separate beings
1: here. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous. Yeah. What did you tell the mother? Um, yeah. I published this letter and, uh, she'll be at graduation <laughs> next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't had a conversation with her yet, yeah. but, uh, yeah.
3: but we, it could we get, get sticky. The letter. Yeah. Yeah. But this image of, uh, God that we bear is so simple yet profound. And it's so primordial. I mean, in Genesis one verse 26, mm-hmm. male and female. you know, let us make man and then male and female. So it's not just the soul. That is unique compared to the animals. You know, so it is the soul with intellect and will to know what is true, to choose what is good, but it's just as much the body. Mm -hmm. The body that we do share with animals as well as gender. Uh, But nothing is said about the animals being male or female, because for them it's plumbing, it's reproductive, it's perpetuating the species. But for us, it's imaging God, physically, spiritually, but personally and interpersonally. And I would say the idea that be your made male and female is true in a unique way, I suppose, for our first parents. But I would advance this along the lines of John Paul and Benedict and Francis by pointing out that really nobody is just born a person and then they choose male or female. In fact, nobody's really born a male or a female. You're born a son or a daughter. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: There is a relational realism, a kind of covenantal matrix that I think sometimes in our own defensiveness, we're like, no, male and female, but it's like step back and look at the the beauty of the interpersonal reality. Even if your parents are flawed, like all of our parents hmm. are, nevertheless, I mean, it really is a case in which the family, as the matrix for personalism, has got to be affirmed and protected, as well as uh, you know, just celebrated. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, and I think. We need to get off the defensive and recognize yeah. that.
2: that. That word that you use, primordial, I think that's uh, les mot juste. It's really the appropriate term. It's, it's fundamental, constitutive. Uh, let me share an anecdote that I, I, I found very amusing. My granddaughter, uh, Isabella, is not even four years of age, but I asked her the other day, what do you want to do with your life, Isabella? And she said, <laughs> I want to be a carrot. so that people can put me in their salad, and the carrot has to be pink, because I'm a girl, and girls are pink. Boys are blue, and I don't ever want to wear blue. She has this irrefutable sense (laughs) that she is a girl. It's unmistakable. And she's only three and a half years of age. A lot of adults can't make that distinction. I mean, they've been so bludgeoned by this transgender ideology that they're frightened. They don't have the
0: courage. To draw those distinctions, and yet she's not going to be a carrot. No, no. <laughs> but 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 I, I say that because the reality is, is we have this a population that are really struggling. What am I? I? I've talked before, is that there's this transition that's taking place from who am I to what am I? This fundamental metaphysical question of what am I? And she's not a carrot. She's. Yeah. If she says that 10 years from yeah. you now, then, then she, she needs to talk therapy. To somebody, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. But isn't that the case? Is that, yeah. is that we live in a population where the culture says that whatever an individual says, that we have to affirm that. And you're, it's cute when she's right. four years right. old. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's become so fluid. Uh,
2: the only fixed point is I decide what I'm going to be. Exactly. And that changes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's,
0: that's an invitation to disaster and misery. But if we live in a world without truth, how are we to question that, right? If if truth is what I define it to be, then who who am I to say that that it's not? And I think your point is well taken, Scott, about the whole issue related to biology, right? Not just, that's a part of it, but oftentimes we just kind of fall back to that. And it's totally incomplete. I mean, it's important because it matters. I just, I can't remember what it was. Just in the last couple of days, I filled out a thing and it asked my gender. It was a a exercise program thing. And they gave this explanation on why it matters if you were born male or female. It, mm. it realized that it had to deal with this, but right. it says as a male, your muscles are differently, your body's different. So it was kind of this, they were stuck between a hard front. And yeah. Stuff. yeah.
2: Well, I like the distinction that you, you draw that we don't have bodies. We are the bodies we have, and they are enlivened by spirit. I mean, that's so wonderfully Thomistic. Yeah. I mean, you always begin with the senses. What do you see? My granddaughter sees a girl Others see a boy and and she intuitively knows they're different. It's ineluctable. It's sort of like fate. I mean, Freud was mistaken about mostly everything, (laughs) but when he said anatomy is destiny, that's one of the few pronouncements I think that was spot on. Anatomy really is sort of destiny. I mean, I can't have a baby, but I can help raise one. I mean, that's a sundering difference, but we're surrounded by people who don't know that. Mm -hmm. Or deny it. Or deny it.
3: Yeah, but the fact that the soul is the form of the body, I mean, that, that's not just biology. That's not even mere psychology. Mm-hmm. That is the, the light of revelation illuminating the natural sciences so that we might realize Aristotle saw it apart from the Bible. But if the soul is the form of the body, you're not going to have a female soul trapped in a male body. You know, they're going to be united. And it's not just a coincidence, it really is a kind of coherence. Mm. where they're going to illuminate but also express the person you know and uh what, what god has joined together let not man put us on, you know, under that's right or persons
2: <laughs> i, I uh, heard the other day on npr that there's this poor girl in florida who had to flee the state because of governor DeSantis because he's oppressing her or him she's now living in rhode island where she can express her gender freely but really what she's in flight from is reality. Mm-hmm. The reality is you are a girl or a boy, whatever God conferred. It's really a crisis of God because he's the author of, of nature. Yeah. And if we reject nature, if we denature ourselves, we're really insulting God, who's the author of all that. Yeah. So I it's agree. a
1: first question mm-hmm. we're, ra- we're grappling with. I agree. I th- think it's, it's really a question of, of who we are in relation to to, to God. Don't uh, serve. I will not serve, I will not submit. I, I'm going to define myself. I'm going to be myself. And that's the demonic dimension yeah. to this that you mentioned,
2: Father.
0: Mm-hmm. You stated that, um, that they recognize that their desire, that there's something rooted in this, is a desire for good. And maybe just speak to that, because I thought that was a good insight. Well,
1: it's kind of the way we're wired, isn't it? To, 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 we, we choose the good, to, we seek happiness, and what we think will make us happy. Uh, uh, very often we end up choosing goods that are inadequate uh, that will not, that cannot mm-hmm. deliver mm-hmm. what the the attractive packaging seems to promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Madison Avenue knows that very well. Well, maybe they don't admit yeah. it, but they don't want to admit it. Yeah. But, uh, but we're made for more. And uh, so I think very often people that are choosing bad things don't, they're doing it. Even somebody in the, the, this case of uh, gender dysphoria, uh, and transgenderism, uh, a desire to, to, uh, to become or to be or uh, a person of another gender or yeah. sex is rooted in something good that they might see or perceive uh, is represented by that. Uh, but
0: uh, I was preaching on this the other day, and I, one of the things I was thinking about is that, that desire, which is a good desire, to belong. Mm-hmm. And that if you don't feel like you belong with yourself, then you're going to look for something other. And And I think that that's a part of it, is that they, for one reason or another, and, and we're not going to get into what might cause all of that, this, this longing to belong, to be accepted. Now, again, it's mm-hmm. misguided, but I think that might be a part of yeah, it. Yeah,
3: I think so. I think the error, as you point out in the pastoral, goes back to first principles, which is in some ways why it's so hard to address. Because you know, if you set out on a journey and the first move you make is wrong, then you might make every other move right, but you'll end up about as far as you can be from where you started off or where you wanna be. And I I think of gender itself as being that mangled first principle. The, The notion that gender is a social construct, you know, ironically, the notion itself is a social, social construct, construct. Yeah, You know, when in fact, uh, society is a gender construct, beginning with marriage, beginning with family, then the extended clan, all the way until you have the 12 tribes that form the nation of Israel. And if you look at the ancient city by Deku Lange, looking at Greece, this is true across the board. Mm-hmm. It, it only takes a little bit of postmodernism to recognize that calling gender a social construct is deliberately targeting family in order to deconstruct it Mm. and i mean to take it back to male and female where you find love expressed in a life-giving way that you don't find among siblings or neighbors as such only in this unique bond of marriage and so the sexual revolution just made this sort of thing not only predictable but i think in a certain way inevitable and so we we really have to fight this and and recognize that if they have contempt for our morality we ought to just return the favor and express a respectable contempt for their ideology and at the same time you know not be on our heels defending ourselves but just say you know look in the mirror and look at history and look at reality call it what it is yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I resist uh, the, the argument
2: that we should just treat this as a kind of passing fad. Uh, it's a fashion, it'll go away sort of like a, the hula hoop. It's more like Marxism. Uh, that wasn't treated as a fad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it managed to amputate the memory of Russia for about 70 years. Mm-hmm. And it's still uh, in recovery. I mean, Marxism did a great deal of damage to the human spirit and to great numbers of innocent human beings. I I think transgenderism is every bit as destructive, but even more insidious. It's not just heaping contempt on traditional morality. It's an exercise of contempt at the expense of reality being the constitution of created existence. I mean, if that's the nature of your assault, the gravamen that you want to somehow subvert and destroy, then you have serious problems. Yeah. I I mean, it's it's an, an epistemological question. I mean, do we not know the difference between men and women? I mean, who's going to instruct people about that? I, I don't think it's a function of knowledge. It's a value judgment they've made. And that
0: judgment is completely insane. Mm. It's a kind of madness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. we'll be right back with more. Francis University presents, and Regis will help us know distinctly the difference between a male and a female.
2: The way you talk with teenagers and younger children about gender dysphoria, well, one way one way you can do it is is first off, you you always want to start with listening. So. ask them where is this coming from what is happening and 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 you listen to them and you try to figure out what makes it uh, flare up what what makes that makes it not flare up so if it's a female child you figure out when do they feel most female when do they feel most male and then after that you you talk to them a little bit more and and one thing you can say is let's say this is a female child you say what a female is just biologically is, is it's a person organized with their body in a certain way, and and a female really is a person with a female body and any personality. It's not a person with a female personality and any body.
4: Walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. You'll explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage in the Holy Land, Poland, France, Austria, Italy, and more destinations. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages.
0: Welcome back, And Thank you for joining us. You're watching Franciscan University Presents, which we record here in the ComArt Studio at Franciscan University in Steubenville. Our students are operating all of the camera equipment, and our theology professors, Dr. Martin and Dr. Hahn, and I are discussing how to accompany people who are experiencing gender dysphoria. We have our special guest, Archbishop Paul Coakley, and I think that's at the heart of the issue is, is how do we, you know, the the son or the daughter? And we were talking earlier. This is something with with the parents here, but just as a pastor, archbishop, what's been your experience, and in, in how can we best accompany that individual?
1: One of the things I think is just to be to be in conversation, to be to 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 really be intentional about being in a relationship with sons and daughters. I think if uh, very often we let a perhaps a. Uh, a wall grow uh, in, within relationships, and we, we, uh, or in a marriage for that matter, uh, uh, we just don't communicate. We stop communicating at any kind of a significant uh, level. Uh, this is something that for parents will require some conversation about. But if it's the only thing that you're going to converse about, it you're getting off on the wrong foot.
0: Yeah, I like what you said. Um- when they come to you, the first thing is to ask questions. Yeah. I thought that was really insightful. Just try to get a sense of what's going on. Where is this yeah. coming
1: from? Don't, don't assume too much. That right. You, don't presume that you understand what's going on. Yeah. yeah. I, I, were,
2: I remember uh, coming across a line uh, in Luigi Giussani. He was trying to uh, determine what struck him most about Jesus. And he said the real miracle about Christ was the way he looked at people mm. like Zacchaeus you know come down from that tree i want to have supper with you the look was a look of love yeah. love and truth harnessed together in the most exquisite way that makes the the listener realize he cares about me mm. it really matters who yeah. i am he
1: wants to get at the heart of what's bothering me mm-hmm. yeah i, I As you're describing that, I'm thinking of the Caravaggio painting of The Call of Matthew Mm -hmm. with that that beautiful gaze with the light Mm -hmm. focusing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there has to be that sense for for the child, for the son or the daughter, to know that they're being beheld by a parent who really cares about them, who loves them. I mean, how can you accompany them if you don't look at them? right. Mm
3: -hmm. You know, as a parent, I know with six kids who are all now adults, but they went through the teens and that's a troubling, difficult time, you know, and especially for for girls, I think Mm. the the changes in their body in a culture where sexuality has just been commercialized in ways that we don't need to get into. Um, But transgender, I mean, if you're just simply thinking about the children themselves, uh, you would want to just basically attack what is going on with the hormone treatment and the, you know, the surgery, because I mean 40 percent in terms of suicidal thoughts nine times more likely to attempt suicide it's not the first disorder to afflict teenagers or preteens you know uh the fact is i i I have a friend uh whose daughter went through this for a few years and they didn't come down and just you know crash her party and condemn her or throw her out you know she's back uh, but it was hard and it took time and it took a lot of patience uh, I also know another father whose daughter had an eating disorder, mm-hmm. and uh, it wasn't just an instance for judgment, you know, but when you discover what she sees herself, how she sees her body, you know, uh, you just don't waste time spending hours and hours reconnecting, reaffirming, uh, and, and just loving, mm-hmm. even if it means rebuilding. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's one of the things you said, Archbishop, in your letter is that unfortunately with this it's not just a fad but it's it's a really dangerous fad because some of these kids literally kids are getting puberty blockers and surgeries. so it's going to have a you know your friend worked through it and they walked through it but in so many places these kids can go and they can get this treatment without mom and daddy. without knowing. the parental
3: right. yeah notification yeah but this was a catholic family it was a homeschooling family yeah. and they were in a state of shock it took them weeks to, to even accept that this could happen to them but it's not just them. right? The, the, the example that you cite of the eating disorder, I think is really
2: instructive. There must be parallels between so. the two. I once knew a student who was anorexic, and for me, the solution was quite simple. Sit down and have a hamburger, for heaven's sakes. No, have two hamburgers. But I was told by an expert, this is one of the most intractable
0: problems it is. It is. It that people face, but mm-hmm. it's virtue is not knowledge. Because I've used that a couple of times, You know, if an individual and you're on a college campus and you have kids that struggle with that, obviously that's not the answer. So you can't just say get over it. But the other part is, is that imagine if somebody came and they said, I feel fat, I don't feel like I want to eat. We would say, then don't eat. Right. But of course we wouldn't do that because that's not loving the person. But when when young people today are coming and they say, I feel like a boy, I think I should have surgery. Fine, have this. I mean, we just treat these things radically different. Mm-hmm. Radically. Yeah, we can't
2: give them an aspirin when mm-hmm. they're in junior high school without mother's permission, mm-hmm. but you can smuggle them across the state and have them chemically castrated.
1: Yes. One
0: of the things, Bishop, that, again, the, this idea of the conversation, there was a study that was done about young people whose faith stuck, you know, over the years. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the common denominators was young people who felt that they could talk to their mom and dad about things that they disagreed with, about church teaching, or this, and mom and dad didn't freak out. And you seem to imply that, that mom and dad need to take yeah, a breath. So yeah, how do they handle it? From your perspective and maybe the parents' perspective. <laughs> yeah, to, to be willing to, to
1: hear some hard things as a parent without rushing to to fix or to judge or to correct. Uh, just to try to enter into the, the worldview to understand what, what a child, what a son or a daughter uh, is experiencing and, and, and to listen with love. Um, and, and to, to show that appropriate compassion. And then we, from that foundation of, 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 of love and respect, uh, the parent can guide mm-hmm. and, uh, and offer direction and suggestion and mm-hmm. correction, but without the, the
3: relationship, without the, right, right. that right, yeah. covenant. But, you know, it's that, hard for some people, and I'm gonna include myself in this because my parents separated. We were able to kind of prevent them from divorcing. They ended up getting back together. It was detente from then until the end. But um, you you start parenting and you're insecure, and so you're anxious, mm. and only too late do you discover that practically <laughs> the definition of fathering is non-anxious leadership, not just leadership. You know, it can be domination at that point and manipulation. But early on, I had my father-in-law to step in and help me to recognize non-anxious leadership is really one way but if you look at god the father how does he generate the son it's not physical he affirms from all eternity the word hmm. you know and if that's the case for constructing eternal life in the divinity then the word of affirmation i have found i mean you have to be willing to criti- to criticize mm-hmm. but you have to do it in the larger context of love You know, I didn't criticize my children or punish them because I stopped loving them or because I started loving them less, but because I couldn't stop loving them. And you have to you have to do that, but you also have to be willing to apologize. Mm -hmm. Um, I did that hundreds of times, you know, (laughs) but I also gave them what we called a day of jubilee. And that is if you come to me with a question, objection or, you know, anything you've done wrong, uh, I'm going to grant you pardon in the sense that you're going to go unpunished if you volunteer this, because that's how fathers, father me in the confessional, I turned around and we had so many breakthroughs in our kids and our family, because I would just say, tomorrow's a day of Jubilee, whatever you come clean on, you will go unpunished. (laughs) That
0: night they went out. (laughs) (laughs) Don't give them too much of a heads up. Right, right, yeah. Uh, Uh, And maybe just, uh, maybe some thoughts about you talk about the suffering and the embracing of that. And I think that that's, re- that's real. It's the part of my mind, we we don't get it. We don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. It seems so simple. And yet it just isn't in their experience. And, and it's, if, you, if you've ever walked with somebody, it's really, it, there's a great suffering in that. So maybe you speak to that. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's
1: the mystery of the cross in a certain sense. I mean, we, we there's no way around it, you know, you have to go through it mm-hmm. uh, and, that's where grace is experienced. That's where freedom and liberation and, and uh, peace will come by walking uh, through the suffering uh, with Christ. Uh, to so, I, I think you know our, our natural fight or flight uh, instinct. Uh, we seek to avoid mm-hmm. uh, what's uncomfortable, what's difficult, what's painful, and yet very often I think we're called just to, to be with somebody in their pain or suffering and uh, um, in a way that is uh, affirming, supportive, uh, loving, uh, primarily loving. Yeah. When, when uh, C.S. Lewis sat down to write The Problem of Pain, he, he admitted
2: straight away, you know, it's a lot easier to write about it than to have to endure it. Mm. But he, he made the point that with Jesus, he doesn't eliminate your pain. He rather enters into it yep. and takes it on himself, yep. uh, which redeems it. I mean, your misery is there, but there's meaning to it because God Himself yeah. has assumed it. Yeah. You
1: know, he, and you're not in it alone. Right.
3: right. I mean, and, and it's it's a transformation. I mean, the Stoics could have probably generated the conclusion, "No pain, no gain," but I mean, the idea that he endures pain and turns it into the passion that redeems his executioners, you know. I mean, that's more than transubstantiating bread and wine. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is transforming pain into something that is not merely meaningful. It's divinizing. Glorious. You know, that's, that's, that's too good to be true, unless it is true, in which case that couldn't have been man-made. That has to come from God. And I think this gets me back to what Regis was saying a few minutes ago, and that is you really can't deal with this until you've diagnosed it. You can't give aspirin to someone with AIDS. You know, you've got to really go to the root of it. And in this case... Marxism. I think you're right. It's not economic Marxism as it was at the time of the Russian Revolution. But I remember Solzhenitsyn diagnosing the Russian condition simply. He said, Look, you know, the elders would sit around the villages and just say, Men have forgotten God. Hmm. Well, they didn't forget the divinity. They just no longer were willing to talk about Him in public hmm. because they had kind of privatized or relativized it all. And nature abhors the vacuum. And Marxism came in for the sake of the peasants and then. Kill them by the millions. Uh, and I would say the same thing is happening with sexual liberation. Only now it's the Frankfurt School, you know, and it's Adorno, it's Habermas, people that most students here don't know, and yet they've got to. I mean, Michel Foucault, Jacques Derrida, um, and I'm thinking of Deleuze and others, and I'm just discovering now, only too late, and I'm an academic. But we have to recognize that you had Lenin, you had Stalin, you had Marx, you had, you know, a lot of these figures over a century ago, but I mean, in higher education, these men though dead rule the world from the grave. Mm. And we have got to get much more serious about showing this, digging up the roots of this sort of critical theory, critical race theory, critical sex theory. But I mean, it, it is it is, marks on steroids. And the, and the wow. thing
0: about it is I do believe and, and we maybe are naive, is how orchestrated it is, and it has been for a long time, and, and we're seeing it now, but there has been a lot that's been taking place in the background that we're now seeing the, the reaping the fruit of that. Mm-hmm. Now, Archbishop, maybe um, you, you released the letter a number of weeks ago now? A couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Response, what are, what are people saying?
1: It's been, I'd say, a primarily positive response, and uh, words of appreciation from, from from priests, you know, I, I asked my priest council if this would be helpful to to mm-hmm. attempt to mm-hmm. say something, speak into this topic, and they were very supportive of it, and uh, encouraging me to do so. Uh, so I'd say, by and large, the the, the response has been very um, very positive, very encouraging. Um, there's been some naysayers. I mean, from the usual suspects. So well, the um, timing of it, I thought, was 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 grand. I mean, not just because uh, the
2: the age demands a response, a prophetic response. But Good Shepherd Sunday mm. seems so apt. Mm. I mean, people really do need a Good Shepherd. Yeah. They need to regard themselves as sheep, dutiful, submissive, because that's the only liberation that counts. And cared for. That counts. Mm. Loved, yeah, yeah. Jesus holding that, that lost sheep. Mm. Yeah.
0: When you met with your priests, um, did you give them a, a part of a voice in this and in, in how to create it or?
1: Not, not the presbyterate at large, yeah. but I did consult uh, some some of the individuals whose, whose voices uh, and whose opinions uh, were particularly important to me, uh, whose perspectives. Um, this was kind of done a bit, um, I, won't, I won't say undercover, but I didn't no, you know, no, I didn't I no, let no, it out after. there uh, that this was forthcoming just because I was a little concerned about what the reaction and the. And I just wondered the reason is
0: because the. Like you said, this is here and it's here mm-hmm. for good. And, and to be able to meet with the priests and talk about it and, and get a sense because they've got their feet on the ground. So uh, up next, our panel and our guests are going to give their final thoughts on today's topic. Please stay with us.
5: Well, the first thing you need to remember is that this is probably not an activist, a transgender ideologist sitting across from you. The first thing to remember is it's a person a person that's held in existence by god loved by god no matter what their problem is whatever difficulty they're bringing the second thing i'd remind people of is that it, you're you're fortunate that they're they're raising the issue with you especially if you're a parent it means you have their trust or maybe they're you know they want they want to get belligerent about it but don't play that game you ask them questions what when, when did this start How does it feel? What do you mean? Not as a form of interrogating the child or the person, but as a way of coming to understand what their actual experience is.
2: When you see the world through a Catholic lens, you see God's hand at work in human history. You see the true, the good, the beautiful. Franciscan University of Steubenville's Master of Arts in Catholic Studies is an online program that offers courses in literature, biology, art, theology, psychology, all taught from a distinctively Catholic perspective so you can see the world with Catholic eyes. Find out more about the Master's in Catholic Studies. Go to franciscan.edu. mcs
0: Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've come to our final segment. I invite Regis for your conclusion. Yeah, I thoughts. think like
2: everyone, uh, I'm very grateful uh, to you for this uh, letter. I think you strike an admirable balance between, on the one hand, really denouncing the movement, but on the other hand, uh, an open-hearted gesture of uh, accompaniment to those who are victimized by it. I mean, we mustn't dismiss these people, but we mustn't be so permissive that we want to uh, allay the pain by giving away the game. We can't do that. What, what they're doing is wrong, but these are human beings whom Jesus went to the cross to redeem, and so we have to walk with them and try and disabuse them of this. But it's going to take a long time. But it's been happening now for a long time. One of the great discoveries I made was uh, just... G.K. Chesterton's uh, The Dumb Walks, which came out about 90 years ago. So it's sort of a, an anniversary uh, uh, episode. But, but he identifies the Renaissance as really the moment in history when men for the first time began to think that being was bad. To mm. be or not to be, that's the question. For Aquinas, it was never a question. It was a judgment, an affirmation. You know, God's word is always yes. It is good to be. And when things go bad, it's not being that's bad, it's the abuse that's bad that needs to be corrected. That's the only optimistic philosophy we have. And the church has upheld it now for more than, for more than 2,000 years. And it runs through your, your letter like a kind of golden thread. And I'm so grateful to you for the narrative. And I just hope that the right people
3: read it. Mm. Thanks mm. again. Mm. Thank you, Scott. You know, I, th- I feel like we're almost coming full circle to the first, epi- the first episode where you were talking about in that segment, your conversion, even as a cradle Catholic, yeah. you know, uh, because it was in the integrated humanities program, not just by studying the great books, but by reading poetry to each other, uh, stargazing, as well as waltzing, and just discovering the goodness of creation, not for the purpose of denying that it's fallen, but still things are good, male and female. Everything is affected by the fall, but the fall is moral. It's not metaphysical. And so discovering being is really the master key, you know, that you need. And not just in theory, but in practice. You don't just read about poetry, you read poetry and all of the rest. But I, I think that what you've done in this pastoral letter, I've read it twice now, and I'm sharing it with my extended family and friends, too, along with the Archbishop Alexander Sample. He's done a great job in writing a pastoral too. And the two are distinct, but complementary. And likewise, Bishop Burbage. And I'm hoping that we might find a way to compile this Mm. and get it out there so that it's not just online, but it's also in hand. But I I recognize the distinction. Your emphasis is on the pastoral and not just for the clergy to learn, but for the clergy to encourage the parents. Mm. Parents need to read this. I mean, I, I wanna say that at least eight or 10 times. I'll just say mm-hmm. it one more time, parents need to read this and then talk to their priests about the things that are going on in my own immediate family or in an extended family or in our neighborhood as well. Otherwise, we're just going to be you know, sticking our heads in the sand and trying to you know, pretend that it's not real. Mm-hmm. You know, Once upon a time, there were normal people responding to eating disorders. You weren't trying to aid people in binging and purging. You were trying to counsel them through it. It just shows now how disordered the society is. Yeah. That uh, and, and, and what we have to work with then is almost exclusively found in the Christian tradition, mm. and especially in the Catholic Church. Would that we had more and more faithful shepherds giving pastorals like this. Mm. Thank you.
0: Good. Final thoughts, Archbishop.
1: Well, I, I found this conversation very, very st- stimulating and, and encouraging, so thank you for your, your your thoughtful reading of the pastoral letter and your your thoughtful feedback and encouragement uh, around it. Uh, I'm very much indebted to um, uh, the teachers that formed me, beginning with my own parents, uh, the, the loving home and Catholic uh, upbringing that I had at Catholic schools and then uh, later at, at the University of Kansas and my professors at the IHP, Integrated Humanities Program. So. It really did shape and form me and a world view that uh, I think we have uh, we have uh, uh, lost sight of, uh, but uh, it certainly formed me as a as a as a human being as a man and uh, my vocation. So I hope these thoughts might be uh, helpful, beneficial to to parents. I think that's the type of uh, audience for which the pastoral letter is, is primarily intended: parents and pastors, mm-hmm. uh, and people who accompany those. Young people uh, who are struggling.
0: Mm-hmm. Great, thank you so much. Uh, if you would like to learn more about today's topic, we have a free handout containing selections of the Archbishop's pastoral letter on the unity of the body and soul accompanying those experiencing transgender, excuse me, experiencing gender dysphoria. This handout is yours if you go to faithandreason.com/slash presents or by calling the number that we will provide momentarily. Uh, I had a, a, an experience a number of years ago where I was watching, it was early in the morning, I was actually going to Mass with the sisters out, and I saw one of our students uh, training. She was a runner. Mm. She's about five foot nothing in weight, mm-hmm. maybe 100 pounds, but she was just tough as nails. And It was at the same time when I was reading on the news about uh, this athlete from Penn who was a swimmer, and, oh, yeah and before COVID was a male swimmer and after COVID came back as a female swimmer. I was just struck on on this, this student who was up early in the morning and working and, and running and training. And then what would it look like if she had to compete against somebody who was a biological male? So I felt the need to write an op-ed piece that the USA Today ultimately picked up. Even the process of me writing that, we had presented them the text and they got back to me. And, and they said, we'll accept this, but you need to change a few things. And it and really became a point that I had to decide whether or not I was gonna do that. And one of the things that they don't allow you to use is the word biological male or biological female. It's against their editorial policies. And, and I wrestled with, like, do I wanna do this? But my experience was is that nobody else is talking about this. So I said, yes, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and we'll make those changes. The number of, of, we got the negative press, which I expected. But the number of people that wrote back that said, thank you. Yeah, You know, they said, Francis University has a platform, you have a responsibility. And it's something that I think, I I don't think I I take very seriously, that that the Lord invites us to speak, and to speak boldly and courageously. And that's what I was experiencing when I was reading your letter, is that there's a number of, unfortunately, bishops who don't want to enter into that. They'll enter into other controversies, but not this. This is like the... And when I saw that uh, you'd written this and we were going to have an opportunity to speak about it, I was first filled with gratitude that, that mm-hmm. somebody's willing to say something. And, but, but it wasn't just that you wrote, it was the manner with which you wrote, which was, um, it, honestly, it was a shepherd's heart. It was a pastor's heart. It was a father's heart. It was, and, and it was laying out, these are the issues, these are the struggles, and, and just a very simple path forward. And that was uh, conversation. ACCOMPANYING WITH, WALKING WITH, SUFFERING WITH, I THINK WITH MOMS AND DADS. AND I THINK YOU JUST PROVIDE a, a PATH FORWARD THAT'S REASONABLE, IT'S FILLED WITH FAITH, IT'S FILLED WITH HOPE, AND I JUST, I THANK YOU FOR THAT. SO, ARCHBISHOP, THANK YOU SO MUCH. MAYBE WE COULD, YOU COULD OFFER US YOUR BLESSING.
1: I'D BE, I'D BE HAPPY TO. THANK YOU VERY MUCH. THE LORD BE WITH YOU. AND WITH YOUR SPIRIT. With your spirit. AND MAY ALMIGHTY GOD BLESS YOU, THE FATHER AND THE SON AND THE HOLY SPIRIT.
0: Amen. 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 Again, and we thank you so much. And we continue to offer our prayers and reflections, particularly with families who are struggling with issues such as this. I know that you're in our prayers.
4: Thank you. Thank you. Download a free handout on today's topic at faithandreason.com presents. You can also watch past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request the handout by emailing us at presents at or reach us by phone for today's handout by calling 800-783-6447. That's 800-783-6447.